Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Holy crap, it's here. This has taken me seven months of my life to complete, and I am super pleased how it turned out. What is Miguel talking about? It's my new book, Expat Secrets. You're going to be able to find it on Amazon right now. Let me just give you the full name of the book because I think it says a lot, okay? Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. Boom. I really like that. Basically, the book breaks down everything you need to know for leading an international life. This is timely information and modern, and it's a fun read. You can buy your copy right now by going to Amazon and searching Expat Secrets. This will really help support the show to grow. And if you want to be an awesome human being, what I want you to do is leave the book an honest review on Amazon. It actually makes a huge difference to new authors like me. Seriously, I mean this. Please get a copy of the book and please leave the book a review. It's just good karma. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is a world-renowned investor famously known for his co-founding of the Quantum Fund. He has frequently appeared on CNBC, Fox Business, and Bloomberg to hear his opinion about the markets and the economy. He is a multiple best-selling author of Investment Biker, Adventure Capitalist, Hot Commodities, A Bull in China, and A Gift to My Children. His newest book, A Street Smarts, and has multiple Guinness World Records for his around-the-world trips and visited nearly every country on the planet. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Rogers. Jim, how are you doing? I'm fine, Michael. So Jim, why don't you take a couple of minutes and tell us what you're working on? Well, mainly these days, my main focus is my two daughters. I never had children before. I never wanted children. I thought children were a horrible waste of time, energy, money, and everything else. I felt sorry for people who had children, so I was not ever going to do it. Turns out I was wrong, Mikhail. These girls are wonderful. I have a lot of fun with them. I mean, I do a lot of other stuff. I make a lot of speeches. I'm on some boards. I invest invest some, but my main interest these days are my two daughters. And where are you based out of at the moment? I live in Singapore. I just picked up my two daughters from school, in fact, here in Singapore. So I remember reading some of your books, and you mentioned that you had moved to Singapore so that you could give your daughters the best education possible. Well, yes, uh, it was more specific than that. I wanted a good education, which everything you may have read about Asian education, I can tell you it's true. It's very advanced. It's very rigorous and demanding. It's much more than I realized or thought. So all that's true. But the main reason was so that they could speak Mandarin. And they both 
now speak Mandarin. They both win the contest, being the best Mandarin speakers in the country. I hoped that they would do well. It never occurred to me they would do that well. It would be that good. But now they're good, fluent Mandarin speakers. The Chinese invite them to China to speak Mandarin. So that part of my my plan has worked. Yeah, I definitely agree with you with the importance of learning Mandarin.、Um, we're teaching our daughter to speak Chinese as well. How old is your daughter? My daughter's two now. Oh, good. It's perfect. It's best to start when they're born. I, I did that with my daughters, and as I say, they they now speak fluent, perfect Mandarin. So. It worked. Keep it up. Yeah. Well, my wife is from China, so it makes things slightly easier. But、um, but yeah, it, I believe that、uh, you're 100% correct that Mandarin really is going to be an important language in the future. If you can speak English to your child and your wife can speak Mandarin, she will have the best of both worlds. But she'll have two good things. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other languages that you think are going to be important in the next generation? Well, one of my daughters is learning Spanish. I mean, it's nothing like her Mandarin. She doesn't do it. I think she does it an hour a week or something. So I'm keen、uh, for them to learn Spanish. The older daughter has suddenly said she wants to learn Arabic. I've told her it's okay if she really wants to do it. So we'll see. Arabic is a difficult language. I live in the Middle East here for the last seven years, and I think I know about 20 words of Arabic. So I have been kind of slacking on that one. All languages are difficult for some people, but. It is very important to speak more than one language, especially in the 21st century. Yes, absolutely. So, talk to me a little bit about the languages that really helped you on your around-the-world trips. Well, if you can only take one language, English is obviously the one to take because that's the most spoken language in the world, and it still is the most spoken language in the world. Fortunately, I got to be very good at sign language, and you know, could could speak sign language in many languages. And also, you know, often we would come into a town and cannot believe how often the local high school English teacher would hear that. Oh my gosh, there are native English speakers here, and, and he or she would show up to practice. Often they'd never spoken to a native-speaking English person before. But the best, the best one to take is still English. Obviously, Chinese is becoming more and more widespread. It's spoken in many, many, many cities and countries now. Although it's not widely spoken in many of them, many people in the U.S. are taking Mandarin now. But obviously, you you're not likely to run into a Mandarin speaker if you pull into a city. It's not like in China or India or someplace or Germany or whatever. You pull into a city, you're likely to find people who speak English. Mandarin is not to that extent yet. But do you think it will go that way, or do you think it will always stay a little bit、uh, secondary to English? No, no.、Uh, you know, a hundred years ago. French was the international language, so and not many people speak French anymore. French is a dying language, but by die, I mean it's it's not going to die out in your, in our lifetime. But you know, fewer and fewer speak French every year. But 100 years ago, 150 years ago, French was the international language, the single most widely spoken language among diplomats, business people, travelers, and everything else. But very few people speak French anymore. And so, talk to me a little bit about the other things that you're focused on teaching your daughters these days. Well, I've never never been a parent before, so I have no idea if I'm doing the right thing. I've written a couple of books called "A Gift to My Children," so that my children, I wanted to write down all the things I wanted to make sure they they knew in life.、Uh, and lo and behold, some publishers decided they wanted to publish it. It's really more for grown-ups than children. You know, twelve years old, twelve-year-olds don't understand some of the lessons that I want to make sure they know, and when they're adults. But you know, things like you must think for yourself, you must speak a second language, preferably Chinese. You must learn to be independent. You must learn to not 
uh, follow what everybody else says. You must learn curiosity. You must be curious about everything, especially what you're told, uh, and think independently and beware of boys. <laughs> I like the last one there, Jim. Uh, me too. I know. <laughs> I know it's very important. One of the things I've learned in my life. And have your daughters traveled a lot with you as well? Well, I travel a great deal. They're in school, and so obviously they cannot travel like I do. In Asia, you don't get much vacation time like you do in America in some places. But they do travel a lot. My older daughter just climbed Kilimanjaro, you know, the highest mountain in Africa. So they've been in many places in China and America. So they've gone around much more than I have. When I was 15, I thought Kilimanjaro was just a movie. Now I know it's the highest mountain in Africa. I've even climbed it myself. But when I was 15... That thought never occurred to me, but my 15-year-old daughter has climbed Kilimanjaro. That's amazing. Tanzania is one of those countries that's definitely on my bucket list. Well, you should definitely go. It's a lot of fun. So any opinion about homeschooling children these days? Well, that's interesting. I know it's a growing movement. Every time I turn around, I meet more and more people doing homeschooling or who have done homeschooling. My 10-year-old keeps saying she wants to do homeschooling. I'm not quite sure why what's gotten into her head. I guess maybe she thinks it's easier than going to an Asian primary school. But no, uh, many of the people I know who do it, you obviously have to be very dedicated to do it. You, you cannot miss a day. You cannot miss a lesson because there are tests. and I'm, The tests are quite rigorous, I'm told. But it seems to be quite good. And the people who do it tell me they do it because they, they want to avoid the pernicious influences of public school. Now, that's certainly a legitimate and uh, obvious uh, argument for it. On the other hand, there may be something to be said for the pernicious problems of public schools, because most kids are going to have to go out into the world and in life, and you're going to have to know other people who have different views, and homeschooling would limit you in that regard, at least as far as I can see. But I certainly accept and understand and endorse homeschooling for those who can do it and do it right. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm so curious about this because I lived in Singapore. I had a job in Singapore and I know what it was like to have a job there. So I can imagine kind of what it would be like to go to school in a place like that. I found working there very challenging. So I imagine the schools would be as well. Education is always something that's really interesting to me. As you may know, uh, you obviously didn't have children when you were here, but You know, the Singapore schools come out in the top five every year in the international test taking when they went kids around the world take the test. Singapore is always in the top five or the top three, as are most Asian schools. I mean, Korea, Japan, China now, you know, they all come out in the top five because I said before, it's much more demanding, much more advanced, much more rigorous than anything I had in the U.S. My daughters have had more homework in the first three or four years than I had in 12 years in the U.S., I kept reading and being told how demanding it is and how tough it is. And I kept saying, well, that's what I want. I didn't know what I was talking about. I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. This is beyond anything I could comprehend. But so far, so far, they're thriving. I mean, they do very well in their marks and are doing very well in the schools. So, so far, so good. And how do you think that education, like, really shapes these countries for the workforce? Well, if you go back to 50 years ago, say... America was the number one country in the world as far as assets and everything is concerned. But now America is the largest debtor nation in the world. In fact, America is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. And the creditor nations are all in Asia. China, Korea, Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, you know. So something has gone right 
for Asia. A major difference in America and Asia in those 50 years has been the education system. You know, when I was a kid, we were taught fairly rigorous and was certainly uh, demanding, somewhat demanding education. As I said, my kids have already had much more homework than I had in 12 years, but at least we had homework in those days. Now I understand American schools are not very demanding at all. So whatever has happened in Asia, we do know one of the differentiations has been demanding education. And now all the creditors are in, in Asia and the largest debtor nation in the history of the world is the United States. I don't particularly like saying that given that I'm an American citizen, American voter, and American taxpayer, but I have to deal with facts if I want to survive. Yeah, those are all really interesting points because we've considered sending our daughter to school in Asia as well, and then we're going back and forth between that and homeschooling. Well, I have to leave that to you and your child. I don't know your child, your wife, but we opted against home. Well, part of we opted against homeschooling because it would probably take more time than I have, and certainly more than I have. And my wife felt that it would, like me, that with all the flaws and faults of public schools, there is something to be gained. And public schools in Singapore, anywhere, not quite as bad as. You know, they don't come, they're not doing drugs in public schools and uh, Singapore schools. They're not taking guns and knives to school in Singapore. So they're very disciplined here. So it's certainly got some advantage over Western public schools. Yeah, mentioning the drugs, that's always interesting when you take the airplane in and you hear the arrival video and they say it is a mandatory death sentence for anyone caught carrying drugs into the country. Yeah, I don't know why anybody would be a drug dealer in Singapore when you could go to New York and get rich and be an honored member of society or Los Angeles or something, and here they're going to hang you. But uh, to each his own, I guess. Now, Singapore is a beautiful country. I loved my time there. I think I was there 2009. But yeah, definitely a challenging place to work and live. How do you cope with the heat there? Well, I grew up in Alabama, so I grew up thinking heat was normal. It's only when I went to the North University that I found out about things like cold and snow and coats and all the rest of it. Too funny. So any new books in the works, Jim? Well, people in Taiwan came to me two or three weeks ago and did a Q&A, question and answer, which they said they're going to publish. And I've said, OK. I mean, that's just independent people, investors and uh, educators doing Q&A, which was interesting. And they're going to publish that. But as far as sitting down and doing something myself, well, I did a book 10 years ago called A Gift to My Children, which I mentioned before, The Lessons. Recently, the Chinese came to me and said, let's update that. So I've written another 20, 25,000 words for it, adding to the original version. But so far, that's only published in Chinese. It may be published in other languages eventually. So the answer to your question is no, but there are a couple of things. Hmm. Well, if you do decide to publish another one, I'll definitely be buying that. I've already, I have to make a confession, I've already read uh, all of your books, so I, I am a big fan myself. Oh, hooray, thank you. I wish you were here so I could autograph them. Next time I'm in Singapore. Terrific. And I think that I will have to get maybe my wife to translate the Chinese version of A Gift to My Children. Well, and my children will autograph it for you in Chinese, and for your wife and for your child. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So I want to talk to you a little bit about investing. I want to talk to you about your opinion for the future. So where do you think is hot these days to invest? Well, I'd be very careful these days because there are going to be problems in the world in the next two or three years. It's been 10 years since we had a serious bear market in the U.S. anyway, and that is very unusual. I think it's probably the longest or one of the, the second longest period in American history. 
without a serious bear market. So we're well overdue. Now, Mikhail, we don't have to have bear markets every four to eight years, but we always have. So first one should be very worried. There are many reasons, you know, interest rates are going higher, trade wars seem to be breaking out, potentially real war breaking out somewhere. So be very careful. I don't know when it's gonna come. I wish I were that smart, but I do know that the next bear market is going to be the worst in my lifetime. You know, in 2008, we had economic problems, market problems worldwide because of too much debt. Well, since 2008, Mikhail, the debt everywhere has gone up by many, many percent. So the next time we have a problem, it's going to be very, very serious. You should be very worried. Everybody should be very worried, including me. And do you think next time we have a big bear market in the United States, it's going to affect the rest of the planet, the same that 2008, 2009 did with the housing crisis? Well, of course it is. The United States is the largest market in the world, the largest economy in the world. You cannot have the U.S. have problems without affecting other people. Now, not everybody, of course, is going to suffer. For instance, in China's filthy. And a lot of people now cleaning up China, those people... They don't care if Europe falls into the sea. They're going to be too busy going to work and making money, cleaning up China because it's so filthy. But most people are going to be affected and affected badly in the next bear market because America is the largest economy in the world. Anybody who deals with America is going to be affected. And then everybody who deals with them will be affected. So, yes. Any safe investments that you think people would be able to put their money into these days that are going to kind of be a little bit more recession proof? You should never use the word safe when you're talking about the investment world, because there is no such thing as a safe investment, even cash. If you say, oh, I see the world's coming to an end, I'll put all my money in cash. You have to be careful which kind of cash. You know, in 2007, a lot of people put their money into cash, but they put it into Icelandic krona, and they got wiped out because it's the wrong kind of cash. It's just, don't ever use the word safe in the investment world. Yeah, that is a very fair point. At the moment, I happen to own a lot of U.S. dollars. U.S., I've said before, is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. So you're probably going to say, why Why do you have U.S. dollars? Because when the turmoil comes, people always look for a safe haven. And historically, the U.S. dollar has been a safe haven. So many people will put their money there again. Uh, The U.S. dollar will go up. It will get overpriced as the turmoil comes. If the turmoil is really bad, it may turn into a bubble, at which point I hope I'm smart enough to sell my U.S. dollars and go somewhere else. Any opinion about uh, the Great British Pound after Brexit? Not with my money. First of all, I had some of my best experiences in life were in Great Britain. But having said that, Great Britain has huge amounts of debt right now with or without Brexit. Great Britain is going to have problems down the road. As a percent of its GDP, it is very, very, very indebted. And, you know, Britain doesn't have much to sell to the world anymore. They've got North Sea oil, but that's starting to slow down. If Brexit happens, uh, you know, the city of London, which has been a huge source of income for Britain, will dry up because many of the Europeans will take their business to Europe, to financial centers in Europe. So I'm not sure what Britain's going to sell to the world. Got a big balance of trade deficit already. It's got huge debts. Again, I don't like saying any of this because some of my best memories in life were in Great Britain, but I have to face facts. So any advice for people at the moment then in the investing world? Not just at the moment, but always don't listen to me. Don't listen to people on the internet or on TV or in the newspapers. Only invest in what you yourself know a lot about. People who invest in hot tips or take advice from others nearly always lose money because, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And if something goes wrong, they don't know what to do. 
and having heard some guy on the internet say buy X, you can't call him up and say, what do I do now? And you don't know what to do. So you nearly always lose money listening to other people. The only advice that I would give anybody is stay with what you yourself know. Don't invest in anything unless you yourself know a great deal about it. And then at least you're less likely to lose money. But listening to other people is going to be a terrible thing. I've told you some of the things I'm doing. I can tell you others. But again, I urge people not to pay too much attention unless they want to say, oh, I think I'll do a lot of homework on that myself. Yeah, that's a very fair point because you have quite a big background in investing. The first book I read from you was Hot Commodities and listening to that advice, and I think my timing was completely off, I actually lost a lot of money not following your advice that you've just given me right now, which is understanding the market myself. So that was kind of in my earlier investing days. I'm going to say it again, Mikhail. Don't listen to anybody except yourself. <laughs> and if you yourself don't know what to do, then don't do anything. Just wait. Wait until you find something to do. Everybody listening to this uh, program knows a lot about something, whether it's cars or fashion or sports. I mean, it, it just stay. Start with the, the area where you're already interested. You will know more about it probably than I do because it's your passion anyway. It's what you're always doing. So follow your own passions. Don't listen to me. Very good advice. So speaking about your own opinion, where you are putting your own money, not as a advice to others, but I am curious what type of things you find are interesting these days. Well, I mentioned that as far as currencies are concerned, U.S. dollar is about the only place that I would put any money. I have a few other currencies, including Chinese renminbi, but basically it's the U.S. dollar. Agriculture, I'm very bullish on agriculture. Russia, I bought some Russian government bonds recently in rubles. I'm looking for investments in China. Chinese market is down over 50% from its all-time high. The American market is at its all-time, near its all-time high. Japanese market, I'm looking, it's down 50% from its all-time high. You know, I'd much rather invest in a market that's down rather than one that's making all-time highs. Korea, I'm looking for investments in Korea as uh, North Korea opens up. I have not found uh, many yet. I've actually only found one or two, and they're not really great. But that's the place that I'm looking because once Korea opens and, and you know, they, they're united, it's going to be the most exciting country in the world for 10 or 20 years. It's where China was in 1980, 81, 82. It's, it's going to be a fantastic place for people to invest. But unfortunately, I don't have any real investments there yet. Yeah, I've had a chance to travel through North Korea and I've been to South Korea, I want to say at least 60, maybe even 70 times. And Korea is just an unbelievable country or countries. Uh, yeah, too, right now. And you know the sharp difference in North and South Korea. Well, the North Koreans want to live like the South Koreans, and they will. It's going to be very exciting once they're open to each other again. Yeah, when I was there about five years ago, it's like stepping in a time machine and going back to, say, 1960s. It's amazing to look at the clothes, to look at the buildings, to look at the hairstyles and everything there. It was just such a fascinating experience. But I am really excited to see when it opens up quite a bit. Maybe you should go there and open a chain of hair salons. <laughs> Maybe it'll be very rich. Just going to take a quick break. Okay, new book is here. It's called Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. This book took me seven months to write and publish, and it's a culmination of some of the best stuff I've learned over my 20 years living as an expat. I cut out all the crap and tried to give you the real meat with this book. 
If you ever wanted to live overseas, or if you are already living overseas and you want to take things to the next level, to legally reduce your tax bill, to live a more international life, and get the best of everything planet Earth has to offer, then you must go to Amazon right now and purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Pause the episode and go take a look. It's cool. I'll wait. Seriously, you guys are going to love this. Enjoy the book. I remember reading some of your books and listening to your travels through Africa and visiting places like the stock markets. And I always found this so fascinating. Well, that was something I certainly did in my earlier days. I would always go to a stock market when I was in a new country. You know, most stock markets have disappeared now. They're all online on the internet, on computers. I guess the New York Stock Exchange is one of the few that still has a few active participants, but most of them have disappeared, both commodities and stock exchanges and bond markets long ago went to the computer. So it's all changing very quickly. You're not going to be able to visit stock exchanges much longer, if any longer at all, except New York. The one that really comes to mind I remember reading about was Botswana. And I actually went to Botswana in, I want to say, 2012. I didn't have a chance to look into the stock market. But I remember you always talking about that as an up-and-coming country. Well, it certainly was. I motorcycled around the world in 1990, 91, and 92. And I remember crossing the border, having come down from uh, Tunisia through the heart of Africa and came across the border in Botswana. And I said, what's going on here? I mean, it was, you know, efficient, honest, roads, road signs, shops, stores. When I got to the capital, I said, my goodness, what is this? This is certainly different from anywhere I've been in the last several months. And I asked if there was a stock exchange, and lo and behold, there was. It was new and, and small. So I went straight to the stock exchange in Botswana. And for what it's worth, I bought every stock on the stock exchange. Now, Mikhail, lest you think I'm a big hitter, there were only seven companies listed at the time. It was new, <laughs> it was new and just getting started. And how did those investments work out for you? They all did very well, as you can imagine. I, mean, I was the first foreigner to invest there. Uh, most people still don't know where Botswana is, but... You know, I did my homework, my research, and, and saw, wow, how could this be? And so I invested, and they were all cheap, and they all did well. That's amazing. Yeah, Botswana was an amazing country. I went through the Okavanga Delta and took, like, low aerial flights and just had an amazing time there. Well, I'm sure you did. I'd, uh, I've been back a couple of times, and, and I endorse what you just said. It's, it's a very interesting place. So do you still hold investments in small, for lack of a better word, random countries around the world? Well, Russia is not a small country, at least not to me. I do my own shares there. China and Japan, Korea, these are not small countries. I guess, I think it's accurate to say, well, I do own, I bought shares in, in Zimbabwe recently. So that's a small, random country by your de description. Uh, but for the most part, I sold my emerging markets a while back and other than Zimbabwe, which I bought a, a little bit recently, you know, when Mugabe left. Uh, actually, I started buying before Mugabe left. I didn't know he was going to leave as soon as he did. But I, the market was telling me something was going on. So I bought a few shares in Zimbabwe. But other than that, I don't think so. If I think of one, I'll let you know during the course of our conversation. Awesome. Because I remember reading your books, and one of the things that struck out to me was, like, how do you keep track of all of these companies in all of these different countries around the world and make sure, like I remember reading one of your books 
and you'll have to tell me the name of the country, but it was in South America. You had bought shares in a company, and when you went back years later, it was like you had to track down the person who had sold the shares or who was managing the company. Definitely, that was Bolivia. Yeah, I opened an account in Bolivia, and things disappeared. And I, on my second trip around the world, I went back, I tracked the guy down, and I, when I walked into his office, to my astonishment, the first words out of his mouth was, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. <laughs> For some reason, he recognized me, he knew. He knew I was there, I was not happy. It was one of those places, always, I, when I started a new market with a new broker, I always start with a small amount of money, because if something goes wrong, either a back office problem or you know, whatever kind of problem, transferring money problem, I wanted it to be a small problem and not a big problem. So fortunately, as I remember, it was 3,000 US dollars that I had started with in Bolivia, but it all disappeared, including the guy, till I tracked him down or tracked down his partner. And in the end, they all said, oh, we're gonna give you the money back, don't worry, we'll get you the money back, and they never did. But I mean, again, it's $3,000 that I will never see again, but it's not, I hope it's not the end of the world. No, but it did make for a very interesting story in the book. Well, it was an interesting experience. Don't think it wasn't. Uh, probably the best part, and it was worth the entertainment by him, when I walked into the guy's office and saw the shock on his face, that was worth the whole experience right there. He was so stunned and shocked and started screaming, oh, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was that other guy. That was quite an experience. And any other experiences similar to that one where you've had problems with brokers in these countries? No, I think that was probably only one. I had a Ecuador. I didn't have a good experience, but it was a similar kind of thing. I don't think it was that the guy was a crook. It was just more that nothing ever panned out. And let's see, there was a Uruguay I invested. but The market never developed. The stock market never developed, at least not in the, the years that I thought it would. So nothing ever really came of that. I got I me, mean, I got my money back. It was not a problem. It was just that the market didn't develop. And now that I'm trying to think, I think maybe there was another. No, that's basically the, that Uruguay is where it didn't develop, and it should have, because it's sitting right there between Argentina and Brazil. It's got two big neighbors, and many Brazilians and many Argentinians use Uruguay as a way to get money out of their own country. So you would have thought that the more, I would have thought that the market would have developed more than it did. It never did. It may have now, but I'm long gone. Yeah, I love the first story about Bolivia. And didn't he say something like, try to convince you that the one guy had died or passed away? Oh, yeah, yeah. He told, he told me the guy died. No, they told me that before. I think at one time I was communicating, saying, Where, what's going on here? Where's my money? Where am I? I want to buy a share, whatever. And they told me the guy died. <laughs> so I showed up. Yeah, I don't know if he died or not. I just do know when I walked into the guy's office, the one I tracked down, he started shrieking. Wasn't me, wasn't me, that other guy, other guy. <laughs> Who's dead? Brilliant. So any other big trips planned in the future? No, my next goal, to the extent that I have something like that in mind, it would be drive with my daughters around China, since they are, you know, so extraordinary in Chinese, that they could be my guides and my interpreters, but they're not old enough yet to really get much out of it, but that would be my next hope in a few years when they're older, if the three of us would drive around China. Her mother says that's fine. She says she will fly from five-star hotel to five-star hotel and meet, <laughs> meet us when we get there. She knows that overland travel can be difficult. Yeah, because she came around the world with you on your second big tour, didn't she? Yes, 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 yes. So she knows it's not easy. And had she traveled much before that point? No, no, no. She was, you know, this was all 
brand new to her. I mean, she'd maybe been to Germany or something once or Austria uh, with a, on a school tour or something. No, no, she was she was a mess, a wreck. She was more trouble than she was worth for the first few countries. <laughs> but uh, I had to deal with her as much as I had to deal with the trip. But by the end, by the end, Mikhail, she was great. She could cross the borders with the best of them. You know, she could, she could, she knew it. She could do it, and she did it. She was great by the end. But in the beginning, oh my, you know, driving down the autobahn and going to a German hotel was terrifying for her. Well, I hope that she got the hang of it because you guys went to what, a hundred and seventeen countries or something like that. One hundred and sixteen. It's interesting because she's just publishing her book about it in September. Sometimes it's better to be away from something for a while to have more perspective. So she is just publishing her version of this trip in September. And it will be quite a, it's, I've, I've read it, it's quite a coming of age. It's a much, much, it's a very interesting book. You know, coming of age books and especially women's coming of age books these days are very inspired and hers is really good. I'm, I'm delighted. I'm definitely going to have to pick that up. Well, it'll be out in September. Look for it. The name of the, the name she's using now is Don't Call Me Mrs. Rogers, because everywhere she went, of course, she was my wife. Uh, that's what people thought, et cetera. She kept being angry and saying, what the hell are you talking about, Mrs. Rogers? First of all, it's not my name. My name is Paige Parker. And second, you know, I'm here on my own. I'm, this is, I'm doing as much as he is. She wasn't at first, but by the end she was. So she, the, the point of it is, you know, I've come of age, too, so don't call me Mrs. Rogers. Call me Paige Park. <laughs> Did she never take your name, then? No, 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 which is fine with me. My children have, are named Rogers, but, but she's still Paige Parker. Yeah, my wife, as well, didn't take my name. I think that's more of a Chinese thing, but... Yeah, the Chinese don't take... Uh, they, they don't do that. I don't know if it's a Western tradition, but it's certainly done in the West. It's not done in, in Asia very much. So going back to China, what are you doing for business over there? I know that you said that you make many trips back and forth between China every year. Well, I, I do have investments there, but for some reason I'm invited to speak there a lot, which I like doing. And so I make a lot of speeches in China and, and other countries. In recent months, CCTV, which is the, the Chinese television network, found my daughters on the internet and invited them to come to, to China. They were exclaiming that, oh my gosh, you speak better than some of our presenters, so please come to uh, Beijing. They were, on six, Happy was on six or seven shows. They were, they were both on the Chinese New Year show. You may know that in China, the New Year, Chinese New Year, they have several shows for the Chinese New Year, which is a big, big, big thing in, in China. So Happy and, and Baby B were both on the Chinese New Year show, to my astonishment and my delight, they sang. They were interviewed. They talked. It was uh, so. Now my daughters are making me famous. Uh, I was. I, I used to be a little bit famous in China. Now my daughters are making me famous. So if they get invited, I, I take them too. And do you traditionally just go to Beijing and Shanghai, or do you travel to a lot of the other cities as well? No, no. I mean, we've been to many. Uh, I've been to many, many even before my travels. But uh, even with them, and even now. There's many cities we go to. We've been to the Ice Festival up in Harbin. All four of us went there one year. No, there are lots of places in China to go that are pretty interesting and amazing. Have you ever been to Guizhou, to Goyang? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I, in fact, I think I was there sometime in the last year or two. Haven't been to Harbin in the last year or two, but I... No, I, I get invited to all sorts of strange places. I love it there. We own a number of apartments there. That's where my wife was from. 
Well, it sounds like you have, have an enterprising wife. Be nice to her. <laughs> I will do my best, Jim. So talk to me a little bit about what countries are still on your bucket list. Any places that you haven't had a chance to go to that you would like to go to? Well, I've been to a, a small part of Iran. I'd like to see more of it. I mean, I'm not going out and doing anything about it right now, but that's one that comes to mind. For some reason, Chad comes to mind. I'm not sure why, except that Chad's right there in the middle of Africa. And since I've driven through Africa twice, it's not the only country in Africa I haven't visited, but I wonder why I haven't been to Chad. Uh, I'd like to go and see. But other than that, I can't really, I really can't really think of a country other than Chad and more. I, as I say, I've been to Iran, but I'd like to go to more. I mean, Israel, I haven't been to. I, I want to go to Israel. I should certainly add Israel to that list. I guess Baghdad, one should say, I've never been to Iraq. Uh, certainly Baghdad has been such a major city in world history for so many, so many times that I probably should go to Baghdad. So those are a few, but again, I'm not, I'm not doing anything about it, so I, I must not be burning up inside to go see these places. If I were really burning up, I'm sure I would go. Oh, Vietnam. I haven't been to Vietnam. I'd like to go to Vietnam. I haven't been to Vietnam either. That's top, top, top on my bucket list right now. I keep trying to get there every month, but something keeps getting in the way. Well, there was a period in my life in the 60s, I did everything I could to avoid going to Vietnam. But now I would like to go. <laughs> and if, if and when, I'll certainly go to Vietnam. But again, as I said before, if, if any of these things were really burning up inside me, I'd figure out a way to go. I mentioned these places, all of which I could go to if I wanted to, but I really haven't done anything about it. I mean, Vietnam is just a couple of hours away from where I live now, so it would be easy to go to, but I haven't done it. Yeah, and for Iran, I was there in 2011, I think, 2011 or 2012, and that is one of my all-time favorite countries. I spent two weeks driving around Iran with a guide and just had the most amazing time, met incredible people and super, super hospitable, super friendly place. Well, that's another place that throughout history has been, you know, major, major center of civilization and commerce and everything else. So yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was quite an experience. As for Chad, I literally know nothing about the country, and I, I've checked before. I don't have any downloads in Chad. I have downloads for the podcast in lots of other countries, but none in Chad. Well, Chad's a big country geographically, size-wise. It doesn't have many people, I think partially because of the desert and a few other things. But for whatever reason, it's on my list, high on my list. But again, I haven't done anything about it. The other big one for me is Nigeria. I'm going to Nigeria for the first time this month, and I have quite a few downloads from there, so I'm actually really excited to visit. Well, I've driven through Nigeria twice, and it's certainly a, a fascinating, extraordinary place. There's no question about that. It's one of those African countries that had uh, Europeans not showed up, it would not be as it is today, either ethnically or geographically. But, you know, it's, it's a fascinating place. I'm going to say be careful. I drove through it twice. The reputation is worse than the reality, at least as far as I can tell. I drove through it twice and I'm alive and well and nothing happened. Everybody tells you how dangerous it is to go to Nigeria. I, it's not my experience, but they'll all tell you that. Well, it's the same thing. I've, I spent a couple of months in Colombia, had the best experience in my life. I've been to El Salvador, had a wonderful time. Lots of countries in the world that people said were extraordinarily dangerous. I went, I had a great time. And probably in the nearly 100 countries I've been to, the only one that I felt truly unsafe was traveling through France. And it's supposed to be, you know, one of the most visited and most tourist-friendly countries on the planet. And, you know, 
wrong place, wrong time, that's, uh, I had bad experiences there. People don't tell you to be careful in America, that it's in a dangerous country. People are always telling me how dangerous America is, and it is. I mean, it is. Statistically, it is. There's no question about that. Whenever I go to a place, or often I go to a place, I always tell them I want to go to the dangerous part of town, which, of course, scares everybody. First of all, sometimes I say there is no dangerous part of town. I say, come on, in every part, every city has a, rep, has a part of town that has a bad reputation. So I always like to go. But they're usually the most boring, safest, innocent parts of any country or any city. But I always like to see. So why is it that you like to see those types of places? I want to see everything. You know, I, when I lived in New York, I was constantly going to Harlem because Harlem had so much fun in Harlem all the time. But if nearly everybody, I would say, let's go to Harlem, they would run the other way. But having spent many, 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 who knows how many times there, I knew it was exciting and fun and different and interesting and all the rest of it. And I, I know that's true in other places. I will tell you a story. I was once invited to speak at a museum in Mississippi, a reasonably small town. And after the dinner with the mayor and the bank presidents and everybody else, I said to them, I want to go to the honky-tonk. And they quickly said, we don't have a honky-tonk here. This is not that, not that kind of town. You, do you know what a honky-tonk is? I don't. Please tell me. A honky-tonk is like a low-rent bar where, you know, rednecks or people get into fights and drunk and drive their pickups and shoot each other or get into knife fights or whatever. They usually have country music and dancing and shoot pool. So I said, I want to go. And they said, we don't have a honky-tonk. We're not that kind of town. It's usually considered low-class places. So I went to the phone. I called the police and I said, where's the honky-tonk? And the policeman said, well, we have two. There's this one and this one. And I was speaking out loud on the, to the mayor and everybody. And they, they said, oh, my God, you can't go there. You're going to get killed if you go there. <laughs> so I'm going. And they had to go because, you know, I'm the, I'm the honored guest from out of town. So we all pile in the cars and we all head to the home talk and I've got on my suit and we all have on our suits and I'm the first one through the door. And the guy said, oh my God, is this a raid? I said, no, no, it was a funeral. Don't worry, we're just all coming to have a beer. So we, and the mayor, the mayor's right behind me. The mayor's a female for, for what that's worth. So she's right behind me walking. Sitting at the bar is the mayor's daughter. <laughs> and you cannot imagine the shock. And the daughter looks up and says, oh my God, what are you doing here? And the shock on the mayor's face, as she squealed, oh my God, what are you doing here? You know, it was, that was really one of those life's great moments where you see something like that happen. But everybody in there had a great time. But that, that often happens, you know. It's just a, a fun experience for everybody at a place that nobody would have ever gone if I hadn't dragged them along. I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> So any other stories visiting dangerous places that maybe had a bad reputation, but in the end were not as bad as people had assumed? Once I was in Tokyo and, and there was a TV crew, I think it was NHK, following me around. A day in Tokyo with Jim Rogers, one of those kind of shows. So I said, okay, well, tonight I want to go to the uh, dangerous part of town. Same thing. There is no dangerous part. Called the police. The police said, oh, this part of town is very dangerous. And they said, oh, we're not going. I said, okay, you don't have to go. But they had to go, obviously, because their whole program was about a day in the life of Jim Rogers in Tokyo. So we go off to that part of town, which basically was the reputation was the Korean mafia and the Japanese mafia. So we go, and I tell you, it's one of the dullest nights of my life. <laughs> it was so boring. <laughs> even the, even the, the Jap especially the Japanese TV people were startled. 
because they were told you should never go there, et cetera, et cetera. We got there and it was, it was very boring. So no places like Africa where the country or the city might have a bad reputation? All of Africa has a bad reputation. I'll tell you not to travel through Africa. No, no, that's just, that's the way it is. I have learned not to rely on other people. My daughter just told me uh, a little while ago that if you go to the State Department, United States State Department website about North Korea, the first advice is prepare your will if you're going to North Korea. Prepare your will before you go. Well, I mean, I've been a couple of times. I didn't get shot or murdered or anything else. It's actually a very safe country. Again, if you listen to the conventional wisdom or if you listen to government propaganda, first time I went to China in 1984, I was terrified because I had been told all my life by American propaganda that the Chinese were evil, vicious, bloodthirsty, dangerous people. So I was terrified when I landed in, in Beijing in 1984. Well, it turns out they were not evil, vicious, terrible, dangerous, bloodthirsty people. They were cultured, educated, ambitious. You know, it was quite a different experience. So one of the lessons that I have certainly learned since the 60s when I listened to all the propaganda about Vietnam, I have learned uh, nearly all propaganda from whatever country, whatever government is wrong. Find out for yourself. Excellent advice. One of the things that I am very passionate about is finding these countries that have really bad reputations and then actually going there and traveling myself and seeing what it's like. The other one that's big on my list right now is Pakistan. I live in the Middle East, so Pakistan has a bad reputation, you could say. And I'm really excited to go and just kind of see what it's like myself. Well, my advice is do it. I've driven through Pakistan and Bangladesh, which used to be Pakistan. Uh, and I'm alive and well and had fun both places. The worst drivers in the world are in Pakistan. But other than that, plenty of places in the running for the worst drivers. Pakistan is on top of my list, but there are other places too. Well, yeah, they, they definitely took that habit and brought it to Abu Dhabi where I live. Oh, okay. Well, Abu Dhabi at least has good roads and, and good cars and good infrastructure in, in Pakistan. At least the last time I was driving there, you know, you would come to a four-lane highway and what the Pakistanis would do, if one side of the road was bad, they would just drive on the, on the good side of the road, even if they were going against the traffic. It was, just, it was really startling. The first time I saw people coming down the wrong side of a four-lane highway, they were coming down my two lanes. That's what they do. They, they figure out which is the best side, of the, which where the road is the best, and they drive there. And they figure, you know that too, and you're going to be smart enough to be careful so you don't run into them. But also in Pakistan, I mean, the donkeys, the camels, the wag, everybody on the road going whichever way they wanted to. That's been a while. But let me repeat, Mikhail, there are many places that have <laughs> bad drivers. I think the worst that I've ever seen is Morocco. Some of the driving there was just unbelievable. They use the cars kind of as like bumper cars and going around the turns, they just kind of like slightly touch into each other, especially the taxis, and they just kind of bounce between the, uh, the lanes. Well, I think you should go there and make a movie, make a documentary. <laughs> maybe I will, maybe I will. So anything in particular that you would like to talk about, anything that you're working on or something that you feel passionate about? I would say again that everybody should have children. I mean, I'm, I know there's some people like me who say, don't do it, but I was wrong. Everybody should do it and everybody should make sure they speak Mandarin. The children and the grandchildren speak Mandarin. That's great focus for me. I now realize this stage of my life and what I'm trying to do for my children. 
And of course, education, make sure they get education. Education changed my life. But as I try to tell my children all the time, if you, you should do well in school, because doing well in school will give you options that you wouldn't have otherwise. If you do well in school, you could go to Princeton if you want to. But maybe you don't want to go to Princeton. But then you decide, if I don't want to go to Princeton. So you don't have to go do well in school to be successful. There are huge numbers of great successes in the world who did not do well in school or did not even finish school. But if you have the proclivity, you should do well in school because then you have the option to drop out and do other things. So that's what I try to tell my girls. Now, they do well in school. They have to study a lot. Well, everybody has to study a lot in Asia, but I've tried to explain to them that gives you the option instead of being told what life has for you. The other thing I try to teach them is you know, figure out, I try to teach everybody, figure out your own passion, follow your own passion. Don't do what your friends or your parents or your teachers tell you to do. Figure out your own passion, no matter how absurd it is. In fact, the more absurd it is, the better. If everybody laughs at you, you know you're on the right thing and follow your own passion. Don't, don't listen to other people, including your father. Well, that's an amazing point because really in this day and age, people are making a career and a lot of people are even getting rich off of things that a dozen years ago or two dozen years ago would not have even been possible. You have YouTubers making, you know, videos or even videos about playing video games and becoming millionaires off of things like this. So it goes to show you that really you can make a career out of almost anything as long as you are exceptionally good at it and you understand how to market and present yourself. And if you love it, if you love it, people who follow their passions never go to work. They get up every day and start having fun. You know, they don't have a job. They just have fun all day. And even if they're not successful and rich, they don't care. They're happy. You know, they they don't care if they're as rich as Bill Gates. They're quite happy. And that's all that really you're going to find in life, that if you can be happy... Nothing else really matters. Well, exactly. And that's what I always say. With this podcast, even if I never made a dollar from it, I would still do it all day long because I enjoy it so much. To be able to have a conversation with someone like you, Jim, is just an amazing experience. And to be able to do this every day is just such a dream for me. Well, that's what I said. You know, people like you don't have jobs. I just have fun every day. So, Jim, imagine that I come to Singapore, we go out for a cup of coffee, cup of tea, you're signing my copy of your books, and I lean in and I'm like, Jim, what's the one secret for success to get ready in the new economy? Well, I've already told you, follow your own passion is the only secret. If, if, if you do what I tell you and you're not passionate about it, so what? You're not going to make any money even if everybody around you makes money. And the, once you figure that out, the only word you need to know is persevere. That's the most important. You know, we all know educated people are not successful. We know smart people are not successful. We know beautiful people are not successful. We know talented people who are not successful. The people who are successful, the people who never give up, who persevere. That's all you need to know. No matter how bad things get, you're not smart enough to quit, so you don't quit. You just keep doing it. That's the people who, who are successful. There's an American point. I think it's American. Yeah, it is. A try, try again. Well, my kids know it by heart now. You know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So perseverance. Find your passion and then persevere and you'll be successful. And you'll certainly be happy even if you're not successful. I love it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Jim. I really appreciate it. If my listeners want to read some of your work or get in touch with you, where can we send them? Well, any bookstore, Amazon, you know, they're all there. There's all still in print in in various languages. So... 
go to Amazon. They're listed on my website. You, you can't buy them from my website, although I think you can link to Amazon or someplace. They're all on my website is jimrogers.com. There's not much there except my trip and my books, but they're listed there. If, if you're really, really desperate to buy my books, you can find the names on jimrogers.com. And I'll definitely put all the links to the books at expatmoneyshow.com under the show notes for Jim Rogers. Jim, thank you so much for your time. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, Mikhail. Bye-bye. Okay, I want to read you the reviews from the back of the book that some massively famous people in the international living space have wrote for me. See if you recognize some of these names, okay? So Gregor Gregerson says... In Expat Secrets, Mikkel elegantly describes the many benefits that accrue to those that choose their country of residence and provides practical and timely tips and examples for doing so. This book is a game changer. Leif Simon says, Having lived and worked overseas for more than a quarter century myself, I've seen expats make every mistake under the sun. Save yourself time and energy and learn from someone who has actually done it. Expat Secrets is the book to get you started in your international journey. Edmund John says, Having incorporated hundreds of companies for my clients over the last seven years, this book is very helpful for those that are starting out. And Michael Cobb says, A huge thanks to Mikkel for clearly written, concise description of the international experience as lived by a true globetrotting pioneer. Especially refreshing is the chapter on the benefits of raising kids overseas. As the father of two third culture kids, I can personally assure you that no education expands the mind more than growing up overseas. And my good friend David McKeegan wrote the foreword to this book. But I will let you read that yourself when you go to Amazon today and you purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Thanks, guys. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.